Welcome to the By Way of Commandment podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the finer points of his doctrine. Join us as we study the gospel through the scriptures and standard works of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Welcome to another episode of the By Way of Commandment podcast. I'm your host, Jacob, and today I just want to jump right into it. We're starting in a verse from John in the New Testament, chapter 15, verse 16. This is the Savior speaking to the apostles, and he says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. So today I want to talk about something that is important to us as members of the church and to Christianity in general, and that is the reality and a literality of a, of a latter-day apostasy prior to the second coming of Christ. In Matthew chapter 24, we read the words of the Savior himself to the apostles regarding some of the signs of his second coming. And in this exchange, he says in verse 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall shew great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect." So who are the elect? If we turn to Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, this is verses 7 and 8. It says, And ye are called to bring to pass the gathering of mine elect. For mine elect hear my voice, and harden not their hearts. Wherefore, the decree hath gone forth from the Father, that they shall be gathered in unto one place upon the face of this land, to prepare their hearts and be prepared in all things against the day when tribulation and desolation are sent forth upon the wicked. This is the Savior speaking of last day's events, latter-day events prior to the second coming, where the elect who hear his voice and harden not their hearts will need to be gathered and prepared for the days of tribulation and desolation. In section 84 of the Doctrine and Covenants, Verses 33 through 34, the Lord says, For whoso is faithful unto the obtaining of these two priesthoods, of which I have spoken, and the magnifying their calling, are sanctified by the Spirit unto the renewing of their bodies. They become the sons of Moses and of Aaron, and the seed of Abraham, and the church and kingdom and the elect of God. There are several more scriptures that we could talk about, but the message I think is fairly clear. The elect are those who will receive Christ and make and keep covenants with him through the holy ordinances. If we turn back to the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, writing to Timothy, says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It also goes on to say, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So in the latter days, as Paul is speaking, some people will depart from the faith because they've allowed false doctrines, the doctrines of man, the doctrines of devils, to creep into their life. 
and they have their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, when we think of being seared with a hot iron, uh, that's a that's a burn. What happens when you get burned? Well, the, the tissue quite literally scars and becomes numb. So Paul could be saying to us that in the latter days, as these who depart from the faith and give way to seducing spirits and other false doctrines, will not be able to trust their conscience. Their conscience will not be a very sure guide for them. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 7, Paul says this, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive, silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. And then he says this, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. If we turn back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the first four verses of that chapter, we read about the last days, as Paul prophesies, uh, and in answer to probably many questions and concerns that members of the church had in his day, that the second coming of Christ was imminent. And in this letter to the Thessalonians, Paul describes the the second coming as being yet somewhat future to them, that there has to be certain things that happen first. So these first four verses start, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not so soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, the second coming of Christ, shall not come except there come a falling away first. Now, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and certainly as missionaries of the church, we tend to use this particular verse of Scripture to describe the, the great apostasy, the time between the death of Christ and the apostles and the restoration of the church through Joseph Smith in 1830. Now, that could still very well apply here. I'm not saying that doesn't apply, but look at the context in the next two verses because this is all one thought. This is all connected. This is what Paul says. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God sitteth in the temple of God, shewing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth he that might be revealed in his time. So the context of this act, this concept here of the, the falling away first could very well apply to the great apostasy, 
But coupled with the rest of that verse and the following verse, we're reading about the rise of the Antichrist in the last days. If we cross-reference these ideas here contained in these verses with those in Daniel and in Revelation, it becomes very clear that we're talking about the Antichrist, who in the last days will come to the temple in Jerusalem and establish himself as if he were God. So that's yet future to us today in 2021. That hasn't happened yet. So before the Antichrist establishes himself in the temple in Jerusalem, so before the second coming of Christ, the Antichrist will rise, and as the Antichrist rises to power and influence over the world, there will come a falling away of those in the gospel. Paul, in these several verses that we've just gone over, very clearly describes that in the last days, many will depart from Christianity in general, and I think because he's speaking specifically to members of the church in his day, that this apostasy will occur within the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as well. If we turn to the Book of Mormon, the prophet Moroni continues this same concept. Now, if you had to ask me why we started this podcast, there, there are so many podcasts out there, um, some very good podcasts, very good YouTube channels, people who are much smarter than I am and who people who are much better presenters than I am. Why is it that we need another podcast? This episode here, coupled with our, our first episode, is the reason why we decided to start this podcast. I have seen too many friends and loved ones, those I serve missions with, those I served in various callings in the church with, who have left the church, who have left Christianity in general, and who have turned their back on the covenants that they have made. And I believe that it is our mandate from God, as given to us again in this last uh, general conference by President Nelson, to gather Israel, to gather the elect. And that includes all of our brothers and sisters of all different faiths and denominations, and that certainly includes all those who have wavered in their faith and who need the guiding influence of the Spirit and the power that comes through making and keeping covenants with the Lord. That certainly includes our brothers and sisters who have allowed their faith to waver or who have fallen away, as Paul says. In Mormon chapter 8 and 9, Moroni is finishing the Book of, of Mormon, so at this point in time, Mormon, the prophet historian of the Book of Mormon, has died in battle, and Moroni is quite literally the last man standing, as it were, and he's finishing off the record of his father. And in these last two chapters of Mormon, Moroni describes the last days. He describes the latter-day church being restored to the earth and the various miracles and blessings that come through the restored gospel. He also describes the great wickedness that will flow into all nations of the earth. In chapter 8, verses 35 through 41, we have these words from Moroni. He says, Behold, I speak unto you as if ye were present, and yet ye are not. But behold, Jesus Christ hath shown you unto me, and I know your doing. And I know that ye do walk in the pride of your hearts. And there are none save a few only who do not lift themselves up in the pride of their hearts 
unto the wearing of very fine apparel, unto envying and strifes and malice and persecutions and all manner of iniquities. And your churches, yea, even every one, have become polluted because of the pride of your hearts. For behold, ye do love money and your substance and your fine apparel and the adorning of your churches more than ye love the poor and the needy, the sick and the afflicted. Okay, up until this point, and even further back through this chapter, Moroni is speaking really to the world at large. He's speaking to us of the church. He's giving these things to us, but he's describing the world at large, that our churches have become corrupt, wickedness is spread across the land, all these things uh, were lifted up in our pride, and so on and so on. In verse 38, we take a little bit of a turn from talking about the world generally, and now he starts talking about the Latter-day Restored Church. This is what he says. O ye pollutions, ye hypocrites, ye teachers, who sell yourselves for that which will canker, why have you, why have ye polluted the holy church of God? Okay, so prior to this, he's talking about churches in general, churches around the world. This is the first time where he specifically calls out the holy church of God. The holy church of God is the true church, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as restored to the earth through Jesus, by Jesus Christ through Joseph Smith, and continued on in succession to this day. This is the only church that has proper priesthood authority, as revealed by ancient prophets and apostles, founded upon the rock of Revelation. This is supposed to be the Holy Church of God. And yet, here we have Moroni calling us out, saying that, you know, some of us, at least, are pollutions, we're hypocrites, and we sell ourselves for that which will canker. We have polluted the Holy Church of God. And then he continues, Why are ye ashamed to take upon you the name of Christ? Why do you not think that greater is the value of endless happiness than that misery which never dies, because of the praise of the world. Okay, so he's talking about teachers who sell themselves for that which will canker, so for material possessions, they who are ashamed to take upon them the name of Christ because of the praise of the world. Then he says, Why do ye adorn yourselves with that, that which hath no life, and yet suffer the hungry and the needy, and the naked and the sick and the afflicted to pass by you, and notice them not? Yea, why do you build up your secret abominations to get gain, and cause that widows should mourn before the Lord, and also orphans to mourn before the Lord, and also the blood of their fathers and their husbands to cry unto the Lord from the ground for vengeance upon your heads? Behold, the sword of vengeance hangeth over you, and the time soon cometh that he avengeth the blood of the saints upon you, for he will not suffer their cries any longer." So Moroni is speaking about us in the last days being corrupted, that there are some within the Holy Church of God, or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who are ashamed to take upon us the name of Christ because of the praise of the world, and who sell ourselves for that which will canker, for money and other material possessions. Well, what exactly are they teaching? In chapter 9, which is a continuation, really, of chapter 8, Moroni explains to us exactly what it is that these teachers and hypocrites in the church are teaching. 
or rather what they're not teaching. So in chapter 9, verses 6 through 14, we have a series of verses that give us the answer to this question. Moroni says, starting in verse 6, O then, ye unbelieving, turn ye unto the Lord, cry mightily unto the Father in the name of Jesus, that perhaps ye may be found spotless, pure, fair, and white, having been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb at that great and last day. And again I speak unto you who deny the revelations of God, and say that they are done away, that there are no revelations, nor prophecies, nor gifts, nor healing, nor speaking with tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Behold, I say unto you, he that denieth these things knoweth not the gospel of Christ. Yea, he has not read the scriptures. If so, he does not understand them. For do we not read that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And in him there is no variableness, neither shadow of changing. And now, if ye have imagined up unto yourselves a God who doth vary, and in whom there is shadow of changing, then ye have imagined up unto yourselves a God who is not a God of miracles. But behold, I will show unto you a God of miracles, even the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and it is that same God who created the heavens and the earth, and all things that in them are. Behold, he created Adam, and by Adam came the fall of man, and because of the fall of man came Jesus Christ, even the Father and the Son, and because of Jesus Christ came the redemption of man. And because of the redemption of man, which came by Jesus Christ, they are brought back into the presence of the Lord. Yea, this is wherein all men are redeemed, because the death of Christ bringeth to pass the resurrection, which bringeth to pass a redemption from an endless sleep, from which sleep all men shall be awakened by the power of God when the trump shall sound, and they shall come forth both small and great, and all shall stand before his bar, being redeemed and loosed from the eternal band of death which death is a temporal death, and then cometh the judgment of the Holy One upon them, and then cometh the time that he that is filthy shall be filthy still, and he that is righteous shall be righteous still, he that is happy shall be happy still, and he that is unhappy shall be unhappy still. Okay, a lot to digest, but did you hear the doctrines that Moroni taught in those few verses, and how clear they were? And did you hear that these are the very things that these teachers and polluters have taught, which have polluted the Holy Church of God here in these last days? For one, in verse 7, he talks of miracles, revelations, prophecies, and gifts of the Spirit. In verse 11, we learn of the creation of heaven and earth by God and the, the Abrahamic covenant. In verses 12 and 13, we learn again of the creation of and the fall of Adam and Eve, and the necessity of Christ and his atonement. We also learn of the reality of Christ's death and resurrection, and, subsequently, our eventual resurrection, judgment, and salvation, or damnation. These are the very doctrines that are being twisted and manipulated, or not taught at all, by these who pollute the Holy Church of God. Now, what's interesting to me is over the years, especially more recently, I've heard some strange stories of members of the church who, by you know, who on paper are in good standing in the church, temple recommend holders, who teach 
in various positions in the church, even at its own universities, who are teaching against some of these doctrines, who are teaching against the creation of Adam and Eve, who teach against the necessity of a Savior, who teach against the literal creation of the earth and Adam and Eve. They teach against the judgments of God, and they teach against the resurrection. They believe these things are not literal. They believe these things are maybe just allegorical or just good metaphors or stories. In any case, there are many who, within the church, have taught against these pure doctrines of Christ. A little bit more on that in a minute. I want to turn to chapter 14 in 1 Nephi. Now remember, this is Nephi after he has been taken up to a high mountain and shown in great vision and in great detail many of the, the events of the last days. And in chapter 14, verse 12, Nephi says, And it came to pass that I beheld the church of the Lamb of God, and its numbers were few, because of the wickedness and abominations of the whore who sat upon many waters. Nevertheless, I beheld that the church of the Lamb, who were the saints of God, were also upon all the face of the earth, and their dominions upon the face of the earth were small because of the wickedness of the great whore whom I saw. So in the last days, prior to the second coming of Christ, while although the members of the church will be spread out across the world, our numbers will be few. And why are they few? Because of the wickedness and abominations of the world. In Matthew chapter 7, we learn that straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. In 1 Nephi 14, verse 13, says, And it came to pass that I beheld that the great mother of abominations, who is the great whore from the previous verse, did gather together multitudes upon the face of all the earth, among all the nations of the Gentiles, to fight against the Lamb of God. So in the last days, not only will our numbers be few, but we're going to endure some harsh persecutions by this great and abominable church amongst all of the different nations of the Gentiles. We could think of Europe, the United States, Canada, uh, and other countries around the world as being the nations of the Gentiles. We're going to experience harsh persecutions and tribulation, and it's going to be because of the wickedness of the world. Turning back to the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 12, we read about a vision or a sign that John the Apostle saw in the last days. He says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. If you read on through this chapter, and if you read the Joseph Smith translation of this chapter, we learn a few things. This is a latter-day event that the first ver verses of this chapter describe primarily the sign or the wonder in the heavens. So this is a sign in the constellations 
that represents something to take place on the earth. What we learn is that the woman represents the church, the church of Christ in the last days, and the child with whom she is ready to be delivered represents the kingdom of God. Now the dragon very obviously represents Satan. But in verse 4, we learn that Satan draws a third of the part of the stars of heaven. The stars, as we understand them, represent people. They represent God's children on the earth. Now many have pointed out that these verses also describe what was happening in the war in heaven, which is true, but these things also are to take place in a way that is typical of the war in heaven here in the last days. Joseph Smith, in History of the Church, Volume 5, claims that the book of Revelation is one of the plainest books God ever caused to be written. And in various points in the history of the church, Joseph Smith describes this particular chapter in Revelation and its meaning, and describes very plainly that these are signs to be shown in the heavens and in the earth in the last days prior to the second coming of Christ. Has these signs been given? While I won't venture to go into any great detail here, I will say that if you look up, and you can Google this or DuckDuckGo it or whatever search engine you use, if you look up Revelation 12 and then look up September 23rd, 2017, you will very clearly see a fulfillment of this prophecy in the heavens. Now, if you look up in History of the Church, Volumes 5 and 7, in a few different sections of those volumes, Joseph Smith describes these events as being literal, that not only will be be fulfilled in the constellations as a sign, but these things will actually occur on earth, which includes the drawing away of the third part of the membership of the church by Satan, that he will quite literally deceive the very elect, as we learn from Matthew. Again, turning back to Matthew, this time in chapter 25, in chapter 25, we read about the parable of the ten virgins. So we've talked a great deal about how Satan will quite literally deceive, uh, quite cunningly deceive the very elect in the last days prior to the coming of Christ. But exactly what is it that he's teaching or promoting that is so deceptive? Moroni in, in Mormon chapters 8 and 9 describes that even within the church there are those who promote doctrines that are false or that teach against those very clear and precious doctrines of the creation, the creation of Adam and Eve, their fall, and the subsequent need for a Redeemer, and all of the doctrines that are appendages to those. Now, in, in October 1970, Ezra Taft Benson, who at that point was not yet president of the church, gave an address entitled, A Plea to Strengthen Our Families. And in this, this uh, talk, he lists the five antichrists of our day, or our generation, and he names them. He names Freud, Charles Darwin, Keynes, Karl Marx, and Dewey, that these are the five antichrists of our generation. And if we think about who these men were and what their philosophies were, We read about Karl Marx and Marxism and its various forms, whether that be socialism or communism or whatever. We learn about Keynes and trickle-down economics. We learn about Freud and 
his uh, psychologies. And Ezra Taft Benson then says this, Today there are much worse things that can happen to a child than not getting a full college education. In fact, some of the worst things have happened to our children while attending colleges led by administrators who wink at subversion and amorality. Here in recent years, especially in the United States, and I would say parts of Europe as well, but um, we've seen a great push by universities and other institutions to teach things like socialism, uh, Marxism in its, its various forms. We, we've seen a great push for all sorts of classism, and yet we have seen very little from our administrators, our universities and institutions in promoting faith in God, uh, faith in Christ. And I'm sorry to say that even the church universities of BYU have fallen into the same, uh, we'll say, rut, where many administrators, many professors at BYU feel that we don't need to be teaching about Christ. We don't need to be promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ or a faith and belief in God, where instead we're going to discuss the merits of Marxism, and we're going to teach our students that Adam and Eve were not real people, that it's all Darwinian evolution, and therefore, because Adam and Eve were not real, they had no fall. There was no transgression, and therefore, we do not need a Savior because we are not a fallen people. These are the doctrines and philosophies of men that have quite literally made its way into universities around the world, including uh, at our own BYU. And I'm sorry to say, but, and I'm sure that many of you who have attended BYU or who uh, have friends and family that have attended BYU have very, very positive experiences there. And that's great. What I'm saying is that in certain colleges at BYU, in certain departments, it is not uncommon to find teachers and administrators teaching these false doctrines to our children. And all I would say is we should be a little extra careful when choosing our professors, when choosing the schools we attend, or where we receive our, our education from. I'd also say that, unfortunately, we live in a day where if you, as a parent, think that you can send your child to a particular university because it might be a safe place for them to strengthen their testimony in Christ while also receiving a, an education, I would say that that is quite hopeful, but unfortunately, I think that is less and less the case in our day. In Matthew 25, we learn of the parable of the ten virgins. The Lord says this, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, 
but go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. We've mentioned this parable in the previous episode, but I think it's worth reiterating that all ten virgins in this parable represent those who were called to the marriage feast of the bridegroom and the bride. The bridegroom very clearly represents Jesus Christ, and the bride, his church. All ten virgins were called to this ceremony, and yet only five were wise enough to carry more oil with them. Five were foolish and were not prepared. So all ten of these virgins represent members of the church, and we could include those of all Christian faiths as well as being those who are called to watch for the coming of Christ. In Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, the Lord clarifies and says, Behold, there are many called, but few are chosen. So many are called to the church, many are called to even to the feast of the bride and the bridegroom. But few are chosen, and why are they not chosen? It is because their hearts are set so much upon the things of this world and aspire to the honors of men. If we remember back to those verses in chapters 8 and 9 of Mormon, Moroni mentioning these teachers and those who pollute the holy church of God, he says that they're ashamed to take upon them the name of Christ because of the praise of the world. Now remember, these are teachers who teach for money, and they're in the holy church of God. So who is it within the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who teaches for money and is in a position of authority to do so, and yet teaches false doctrines, and who are afraid to take upon them the name of Christ because of the praise of the world? I won't name names, but I will say there are many people in this world, with, within and without the church, who would rather have the letters PhD next to their name than they would to have Christ next to their name. Just my opinion, but it's based on some very real experiences with even members of, the, of our own church who very much seek after the praise of the world in that way. So many are called, but only few are chosen because their hearts are set so much upon the vain things of the world. In our day, here in 2021, we have seen over the last several years uh, what I would consider a horrifying and disturbing shift in the mentality and in the minds of particularly young people in the church who, for various reasons, are leaving the church. According to three different surveys, from a Pew survey, a general social survey, and the Public Religion Research Institute survey, and as reported by religionnews.com, we see the following figures presented in this manner. According to the most recent wave of research in the same studies, published early this year in 2020, 61% of the participants who were Mormon as teenagers still claimed that religious identity as adults. 
That finding is consistent with other national studies from Pew, the General Social Survey, and the Public Religion Research Institute, in which the Latter-day Saint retention rate in recent years has ranged from a high of 64% to a low of 46%, losing four or five of every ten young Latter-day Saints. This excerpt goes on to describe that depending upon which survey we're looking at and how the data is defined, we see that but somewhere between roughly 40 and 70, almost 75% of millennial age LDS uh, individuals, so those born after 1981, are leaving the church. Between 40 and 70% are leaving the church. Couple that with the fact that the church growth rate in recent years has fallen from between 3 and 4% per year to now just over 1%. Not only is the growth of the church decreasing, but we have a mass exodus of youth from the church and young adults, people who are my age in their 20s and 30s. Now, the reason for each individual leaving the church is going to be individual to them. But I have to imagine that some of the reasons that many of us leave the church or choose to leave the church comes from a variety of different things, ranging from never really having much of a testimony in the first place and finding that church is more of a a chore than something that we're anxiously engaged in, all the way to having had negative experiences with other members of the church, Uh, possibly those within leadership in the church and and the local wards and stakes, as well as having some animosity towards certain doctrines or practices of the church. Whatever the case, we are seeing here in these last few years a huge exodus of members of the church. Many of them, according to some of these surveys, describe the things that I just mentioned as the reason for them leaving the church. Uh, Many of them believe that the church has not been clear about certain doctrines or points of the church history. Also, many of them cite that their own professors and those who are within their field of study have swayed them away from the faith of their fathers and have taught them more secular things. I have seen over the last several years, as I'm sure many of you have, Individuals who I consider friends, who I served with, who have left the church for various reasons, and for whatever their reason, the result is always the same. They become angry and bitter, and not only do they hate the church, they hate the teachings of the church, and they eventually hate the people within the church who believe in these teachings, and eventually they begin to hate God. They go completely the other way. It is one of the most disheartening things that I've seen in my lifetime. And the reason why I'm talking about this uh, in this episode, why we're talking about the Latter-day apostasy, we have to understand that these things were foretold by prophets and apostles of old. We knew, they knew, that this would happen. It doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't make it any easier for those who are leaving the church and for those who wish they wouldn't, uh, who wish they would stay. But the point is, these things were foretold long ago, 
And it's our job as our mandate to gather Israel to care for these individuals and to love them and to do anything we can to reclaim them. We read in the previous episode in Doctrine and Covenants 45, verses 24 through 26, And this I have told you concerning Jerusalem. And when that day shall come, shall a remnant be scattered among all nations, but they shall be gathered again. But they shall remain until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And in that day shall be heard of wars and rumors of wars, and the whole earth shall be in commotion, and men's hearts shall fail them. And they shall say that Christ delayeth his coming until the end of the earth. This is a warning from Christ to us in this last dispensation that there will come a time when men's hearts shall fail them. And this will come in a day when there are wars and rumors of wars and the whole earth is in commotion. And when people begin to say that Christ delays his coming, or maybe he's not coming at all, or maybe this is all just uh, a big joke, maybe none of this is real, and in that day shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. In section 1 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which we've covered in previous episode, it says, Prepare ye, prepare ye for that which is to come, for the Lord is nigh. And the anger of the Lord is kindled, and his sword is bathed in heaven, and it shall fall upon the inhabitants of the earth. And the arm of the Lord shall be revealed. And the day cometh that they who will not hear the voice of the Lord, neither the voice of his servants, neither give heed to the words of the prophets and apostles, shall be cut off from among the people. And then the Lord says this, For they have strayed from mine ordinances, and have broken mine everlasting covenant. They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way, and after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world, and whose substance is that of an idol, which waxeth old, and shall perish in Babylon even Babylon the Great, which shall fall. Now, I want to give special attention to verse 15 here, which says that they, meaning us of the church, have strayed from mine ordinances and have broken mine everlasting covenant. We have to remember that this particular verse was given in 1831. This is five years before the first temple in Kirtland will be built, and therefore five years or more before the ordinances of the temple are restored and in full practice in the church. In fact, when we look up the everlasting covenant, it's specifically a reference to eternal marriage, the sealing ordinance of the temple that seals husband and wife, parents and children together for eternity. Now this ordinance and this covenant was not had amongst the church in 1831. This is a prophecy given to the church from the Lord regarding a yet future day uh, from 1831 in which they of the church will have strayed from the ordinances and broken the everlasting covenant. And because they have done so, they'll seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walks in his own way, and they shall be cut off from among the people when the Lord shall be revealed. Now, because everlasting covenant refers to the covenant of marriage, what is it specifically that we of the church have done that has broken that covenant? Now, aside from uh, individual choices, aside from choices made by individuals to break that covenant within their own life, what has the church done 
Or what have those who have represented the church done to break that covenant or that ordinance of eternal marriage? Here in 2021, there are many within the church. Now, I know this is probably going to get me in a little bit of trouble here, but I'm just going to say it. Here in 2021, there are many members of the church, uh, including many, many members of the church who live in Utah and attend BYU and teach at BYU and uh, other universities around the world, who, who teach philosophies of men and false doctrines that go against the teachings of Christ and his church regarding the sanctity of marriage. They teach against the proclamation given of the family. I'm not going to name names, but I think you can understand what groups of people and what um, philosophies I might be referring to that have quite literally taught the opposite of the family proclamation. And I would encourage all of us to go study the proclamation given on the family. I believe that document is revelation from God. I believe that it is doctrine, and I believe that just as the document states, those of us, especially within the church who have been given this revelation and doctrine, will be held accountable to it. In Doctrine and Covenants, section 112, verses 24 through 26, the Lord says this, Behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, a day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, and of lamentation. And as a whirlwind it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name, and have not known me, and have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. Prior to the second coming of Christ, there will be a day where Christ shall exact vengeance upon the inhabitants of the earth, and it will begin at his house, his church, and his temple. And from his house it will go forth, and it will be first amongst us in the church who have quite literally blasphemed against him and who have claimed to know him and yet have taught false doctrines or have believed in the seducing doctrines of devils and the philosophies of men. So much that is central to the teachings in the temple are the teachings and doctrines regarding the family. The entire church is built upon the foundation of families. The entire earth and its inhabitants are built upon the foundation of families. The family is ordained of God. That is why we, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, spend so much effort teaching about and instructing and serving in a way that promotes family unity, that promotes the family as the fundamental unit of society. And not only that, but we know that we cannot have an eternal increase, we cannot receive true salvation and exaltation without the family, without our families, without being sealed together. These things are so crucial that it's no wonder that Satan and men would teach all manner of false doctrines against the family, which includes teaching against the true order of marriage, teaching against the necessity of children. I want to end with a few thoughts here. As I've been studying all these these verses of scriptures regarding the last days and particularly those regarding a latter-day apostasy prior to the second coming of Christ, 
And looking around me, it's become abundantly clear to me just how important it is to stay on the good ship Zion, as President Ballard said only a few years ago. We are literally in a spiritual war. These are the last days. These are the days prophesied by prophets and apostles of old. These are the days foretold by Christ himself. And we need to be watching for his coming. We need to be paying attention to what's going on, not only for the signs of his coming, but we need to be paying attention in our own homes, in our own families. And we need to be strengthening one another and bearing each other up. And we need to be strengthening our testimonies of the Savior. So much of the world and the commotion that it promotes is a distraction. A distraction from truths, a distraction from the Savior himself. There are so many organizations and, and philosophies and ideologies, wh- whether it be political or social, that are being promoted so heavily right now that go against the teachings of Christ. It has become more important today than ever to remain firm in the testimonies that we have of Christ and his gospel and to study his gospel and to not allow ourselves to be led astray by these false doctrines and philosophies of men. In Matthew 26, we have the exchange between the Savior and his apostles at the Last Supper, in which the Savior describes to the apostles that one of them, who will be among the twelve, will betray him. And each of the apostles apostles in turn asks the Lord, Lord, is it I? Is it me? Am I the one who betrays you? Are we, brothers and sisters, asking ourselves that question? Lord, is it I? Am I betraying you? Is there something that I am doing, or is there some belief that I'm holding on to that is contrary to the pure doctrines of Christ? Is there something that I'm doing in my behavior, in my actions, in my words, or in my thoughts that is not congruent with the doctrines and teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ? Is there something that I need to change? Is there something that I need to do better at? That will be different for all of us. We're all individuals with our own vices and temptations and things that we need to overcome. But how important of a question is that to ask ourselves from time to time? And to ask the Lord, I believe it was President Uchtdorf who gave that talk in General Conference only a few years ago. Lord, is it I? I would encourage encourage everyone to go back and and reread that talk or listen to that talk and see if you don't come away from that talk absolutely inspired and ready to repent and come back to Christ. And I mean that in the the purest way possible, not that we're all out there committing these totally abhorrent and horrible uh, sins, but, but even those things that are more subtle, those things that maybe aren't these great and terrible sins, but are still things that we need to correct and do better at in our lives. Maybe it's time that we give some focus to those things and and truly turn back to Christ and let him in on these things and, and have him help us overcome them. And with that thought, we ask, Lord, is it I? Have we given place in our hearts or in our lives, for the doctrines and philosophies of men? Have we given place for the philosophies of Marxism, Darwinian evolution, Keynesian economics, and so on? Do we support groups 
and behaviors or individuals that stand in direct opposition to God and his commandments. I want to end with this last quote. This is from April 2018 General Conference, and this is the president of the church, uh, a newly called president of the church, President Nelson. He says, quote, Our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will perform some of his mightiest works between now and when he comes again. We will see miraculous indications that God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, preside over this church in majesty and glory. But in coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. We need the Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost as our constant guide. These are the last days. We're seeing fulfillment of prophecy all the time. We're living in it. And if we don't have the constant guidance of the Spirit, and if we're not seeking Christ in all that we do, then we of the covenant, those of us who have chosen to follow Christ, even the very elect, may yet be deceived. And should we be deceived, and should we fall away, then we will be cut off from the Lord at his coming. The hope, brothers and sisters, is that we remain faithful to our covenants, do all that we need to to study the doctrine, to study the scriptures, learn about Christ, learn about our Father in heaven and his Son, Jesus Christ, and their plan of salvation for us. Study these pure and simple doctrines. And more than that, repent. Exercise some faith and repent. Come to the Lord in prayer with all of the things that are going on in your life and turn to him and let him help you through whatever it is that you're struggling with. And maybe you don't feel like you're really struggling with a whole lot right now, but I'm sure that there's something that you can do or something that you can come to the Lord with that you can make stronger or better. And with his help and with the help of our Savior and the guiding influence of the Spirit, we will not be deceived. To all our brothers and sisters who have fallen away from the church, for whatever reason, let us open our hearts to them. Let us serve them. Let us remain faithful and kind to them, and let us be there for them. I know that in a coming day, persecutions will rise. Commotions and calamities in the heavens and the earth will increase, just as they, as they have been for the last several decades, and certainly in the last several years. But I know that as times become more scary, as there are more commotions in the earth, that if we remain faithful to our Savior Jesus Christ, we will be able to get through all of the tribulations and trials that we'll be asked to pass through. If we make the Lord our rock and our Redeemer and we look to Him, we will not be deceived. And we may yet, brothers and sisters, abide the day of His coming and be caught up in the air to meet Him. And I want to thank each of you for taking the time to listen. Again, everything we discuss in this podcast is my opinion. These are things that I'm thinking about as I study the gospel as I study the scriptures, and I don't represent the church in any official capacity. But as a member of the church, I feel that it's my duty to help to spread the te my testimony of Jesus Christ and to share the gospel here in the, these last days. So I want to thank each of you for listening, allowing me to share my thoughts and my testimony with each of you. And until next time, bye.